Hello, everybody. My name is Kenton Young, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Dylan Fairman. Hey! And this is Unsolved Canadian Mysteries. So, Dylan, how have you been? I've been uh, well, Kenton. We have a different setup again this time. Yeah, oh, and there's there's a, a Happy New Year characters are, are projected over top of your, your dome. That's a new thing! That's a new thing. Well, I, I just did it for, like, this one. I like it. I like it. How have you been? I've been good, man. We haven't uh, saw each other. I think it was. We did the one podcast about Will Know. I think in November, maybe even December. Yeah, yeah but then we did all those shorts. Yes, yes, we recorded the shorts together, so that, that which, was a good reunion. Which you can see on our TikTok and YouTube channels and Instagram everywhere. And, yeah, everywhere. We're we're going global, folks. Obviously, we're doing our long form Canadian mysteries, but we thought we, you know, there's a bunch of mysteries out there that we don't even get to touch. The last one we did, the last long form podcast we put out, was about the Will Know vampires. And we got some interesting mixed uh, responses on that. Mi- mixed? Mixed. Oh, no. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Uh, some people thought perhaps we should have like not covered that story because the town is trying to bury that story and pretend it didn't happen or move on past that whole thing. Uh, bury the story. Bury. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we got one on Twitter the other day. That said that there is more to the story, but they'll only tell you if you speak Polish. So we have to find someone, a listener perhaps, who speaks Polish, oh. who can tell us more of the story. Uh, is it in your? Is it in that book? I was wondering, because the book talks about vampires, well, it talks about witches and succubus and gnomes or something like dwarves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what they meant. There's more to the story we only covered the vampires. Uh, I see. But maybe this, maybe this even more. Maybe you know. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was, I was wondering that because when I was sifting through it, I didn't read the whole thing. I, I know you did, but <laughs> there's a lot in that book that it's kind of like piecemeal together, mm. and it can also be kind of boring because it was like a report. That's what it was. Thank you, Kenton. It was like. I was doing a puzzle, and I hate puzzles. So we just covered the vampires. Because, you know, witches, we've covered witches, right? Yeah. And succubus, that can get weird real quick, so we didn't do that one. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and gnomes aren't scary, so I didn't want to talk about gnomes. Don't. Dwarves. Look. Whatever they First are. of all, I think it was dwarves. Okay. But second of all, fuck gnomes. <laughs> They're scary. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> we will be. Different on that one then. So our very first episode of Unsolved Game Mysteries, we talked about Granger Taylor and UFOs. Not Taylor Granger? No. <laughs> That's to think about that. No. <laughs> Granger Taylor. <laughs> no. So it's another UFO story. It's May 20th, 1967. A gentleman named Stefan McCulloch. A gentleman named <laughs> Stefan McCulloch was out prospecting near Falcon Lake in Manitoba. So Falcon Lake, um, it's like... Near the Ontario border, kind of in line with Winnipeg, though. Okay. So it's like if you first follow number one highway, you eventually get to Falcon Lake, and then right after that's like the Ontario border. Okay. Can't give an idea where it is. And Falcon Lake now has a population of like 230 people. So in 67, it had like a much smaller population, right? But they were prospecting out the area looking for minerals. Uh, so like uh, silver, quartz, uh, gold, whatever they could find, right? So Stefan was out there uh, prospecting an area that he had claimed. And um, he had gone out there for the May long weekend. So he was, he was just out there by himself prospecting his family. I think they were back in Winnipeg. And while he was reviewing, prospecting some quartz he had found, a vein of quartz, he heard some geese get startled. And <coughs> yeah, flocking <coughs> geese, they flew away. That was my sound effects. Was, I, that, was that fine? I liked it. It was good. <coughs> Oh. No. no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Okay, anyway. Okay. Stop what he was doing. He looked up. 
and he saw two ships, objects, one higher than the other one. They're shaped kind of what you would see a typical UFO, like a, like a cigar shape with a bump in the middle. Uh, he didn't say that they were rotating, but it kind of gave the same impression that it's like they were rotating like how you would imagine a UFO would be. So one was higher up and one was lower down, and the one that was higher up took off, it flew away. The one that was lower down settled down and rested kind of on the, the ground. So where this area is, on this area of, of, of the Falcon Lake area, it was like a pre-Cambrian shield. So it's very like stone, moss, small trees, grass, not like a heavily wooded area, but it's kind of more like a like a stone, pre-Cambrian shield area, if you know if you know that area. Of so I feel like I knew that when I was in school, but now I don't. It's, so it's like pre-Cambrian means that it was created before the Cambrian period back uh, in the creation of the planet. So the Precambrian Shield is one of the oldest parts of like the world's mm. cra- crust, right? Right. I see. So it's a good place to find fossils, or in this case, uh, silver, quartz, gold, that kind of thing. He sees this thing kind of settle down ahead of him, and he takes out a sketchbook, and he spends about 30 minutes sketching this thing out, uh, its height, its width, its its length, kind of the colors, its pulse setting. He says it kind of goes from uh, from like a gray to like a very light red, and then back to gray. He says it's um, it's very smooth. He, I guess he's like a... A mechanical engineer or something of that sort as portrayed. So he's pretty good with welding and that stuff. And he says there's no weld marks on it. It's a very smooth surface. He describes it as looking almost like a glass. Uh, so as he's uh, he he's he sketches it out and he walks over to it and he says you you can feel you can smell sulfur coming off of it and you can feel like a hot wind and like the occasional mechanical hiss coming out of it. And as he walks around it, he sees on the far side of it, uh, a door has opened. And he can hear some kind of talking inside it. But he can't make it out because of the sound of the ship. Uh, and he says something like, along the lines of, Hey, you Yankees, do you need some help? Thinking this is maybe possibly uh, American aircraft, and they're having some kind of mechanical problems. Uh, so then he, he calls out, Hey, you Yankees, do you need any help? Or something of that sort. And the talking stops. He then calls out in German, Polish, and Russian. And no response. He kind of looks inside the ship and he can see lights of light lights. You can see a table filled with different colored buttons of lights. He then reaches out to go touch the ship and the fingertips of his glove melt off. <laughs> then, as he kind of backs up, because that's kind of like, oh my God, my glove just melted. Uh, the door closes, the ship turns slightly and blasts off, but it hits him with a blast of this hot air. He gets thrown back. His shirt gets lit on fire. Te- tears off his shirt and stumbles away. Uh, he suddenly gets extremely nauseous. He ends up vomiting and stumbling back towards the highway. I don't know how he got out to where he was prospecting, if he drove or whatnot, but never really said, but he was then spotted walking down the highway, uh, shirtless, <laughs> very red, and stumbling. He, he was sick. RCMP officer kind of noticed him, pulled over and asked if he was okay, and he wasn't too responsive. He wasn't too, uh, didn't want to talk to the officer, and the officers assumed he was just drunk. I mean, made a long weekend out at the lake. Mm. It could happen, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, whatever, man. Okay, so the RCMP officer carried on. This guy eventually gets back to his motel, checks in, and asks the guy at the desk if the doctor is in. Because back in back then, of course, there wasn't a lot of doctors and they kind of rotated through the different communities. Right. And he asked, is the doctor in? He said, no, the doctor won't be in for a couple more days. He said, okay. He went back to his room. That would suck. That right. would suck so much right. ass. Like, oh my gosh, I just stepped on a, a nail and jumped off my leg. And... Oh, he was just here yesterday. I got to wait all yeah. two weeks. Right, yeah, yeah. Let's go chase, chase that guy down, right? Oh my God. Imagine if you have to give birth or something. It's like, oh no, you have to wait two oh, weeks for the doctor to come back. He gets to his hotel room. He calls his wife, so, says there's been an accident and that he's coming back tomorrow. And the next day, 
he takes the Greyhound bus back to Winnipeg. When he gets there, his son takes him to the emergency, uh, and he's not doing too good. He's he's sick. He's vomiting. He has diarrhea, losing hair. He ends up losing, I think, about 13 pounds uh, just because he's so weak. And they think he has uh, radiation poisoning, but he doesn't come back as radioactive. After a little while, he talks to the Winnipeg Tribune and makes a statement of what happened at the lake. Now, this statement he kind of regrets making, uh, but it alerted the RCMP. It alerted the Canadian military. It alerted the United States military. And for the next, I think it was several days, four or five days, a whole bunch of helicopters descended into Falcon Lake, searching for whatever these things were. And he was interviewed by everyone. I have a list here because I could not remember it all. He was interviewed by some of the helicopters that descended onto the lake where the RCMP CMP, the Royal Canadian Air Force, the Department of National Defense out of the U.S. Uh, there's also the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, the U.S. Air Force, and I even think NASA got involved. NASA. NASA. And they investigated not only his claims, but also any uh, evidence. So, for example, they found his burned out T-shirt and they found the area where the UFO had apparently landed and had the burned out uh, grass and area. They also found uh, some melted metal in some of the cracks in the Precambrian Shield. The original consensus... Uh, initial consensus, I should say, was that uh, Stefan was drunk and hallucinating. Now, uh, he said he didn't drink at all that weekend, but the motel bar bartender says he served him five beers a night before. Now, mm. I, I've had, you know, I never think I've ever had five beers in a night, maybe three, right? But I never- You've never had five beers I in a night? Think so. No, I don't drink a lot. <laughs> I had five beers the other day. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, did you see a UFO and somehow end up burning off your shirt? <laughs> no, no, but I have seen some stuff. Okay. But it wasn't from... They, someone put something else in my beers. Okay, okay. So I I guess I neglected to mention when Stefan got burned and he went to the hospital, they could see a grid mark on his uh, torso from the, from the vent. So there was physical damage to him, uh, blisters, and eventually a scar from this hot air that hit him. So um, the initial thought was that perhaps he was drunk, hallucinating, and had an accident out there and just blamed it on UFO. But there was some evidence that something had happened, right? Like he had the sickness that isn't common. He had this a burn on him that wasn't rational. So both the RCMP and the, I think the DND, they all said there's an, they can't explain it. They don't know what it was. Uh, his report, uh, how we interacted with the RCMP officer on the highway was different than how the RCMP discussed it. And this, this Stefan, however, he stuck with the story the entire time. You know, this happened in 67, he died in 98 or something like that. He's had the same story the past, those 30 years between. I got thinking about this guy. I thought, who is this fellow, right? Who is this prospector out of Winnipeg <laughs> that can speak German, Polish, oh, and Russian? See, that's the, okay, sorry. When you said that though, like I, you glazed over it, but that I thinking about that. Whatever you said after that, I didn't hear at all because I was thinking about like, wait, he said how many languages? Right, like people in Winnipeg are amazing people, but to speak German, Polish, and Russian and English, and to call them Yankees. I thought, who is this guy? Yeah. So I decided to look it up. So this guy, Stefan, one of the reasons he was so open with his uh, discussion to the police and everyone about what he saw was because he used to be a Polish police officer. At least that's what one of the newspapers said. I look further and I found his obituary. He wasn't a Polish police officer. He's with the Polish military. And he was in the Polish military in the 30s and 40s when the Nazi Germany invaded Poland. He was then part of the Polish resistance against the Nazis and later fled the Soviets when they took over Poland. This guy has seen some stuff. You think Poland is where the death camps were, right? So like he was right in the heart of it in World War II. 
Uh, so I'm thinking when he saw this ship, probably just like, oh, it's another military craft because I've seen a thousand of them the past 30 years, right? Didn't even think about it. It's like, oh, it's some um, uh, military aircraft. It must be. And then he calls them Yankees. I'm thinking Yankees, that's kind of like a Soviet term for Americans. Like, yeah, we joke about it here, Canucks and Yankees, but that's kind of like what a Soviet would call an American. So I wondered if maybe he was a Soviet spy, but it doesn't fit the story at all. But just the the way he kind of conduct themselves seems a little suspicious. That's the only kind of connection I could get out of the story that other people weren't covering is that he had like a World War II and Cold War connections. Yeah. Like you don't just go from being, you know, resistance Polish uh, military to a prospector and a mechanical engineer out of Winnipeg. I have a couple of theories of what this was, but what do you think happened? Okay, well, first of all, the the glaring problem with this whole story and i i know everyone watching and listening to this right now has the same thought as me five beers and you're hallucinating i could literally go drink five beer and let's 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 get this straight I, I drink more than the average person but an average person kenton kenton could go have five beers right now i guarantee you he's not hallucinating he might puke he's not hallucinating that's the first <laughs> problem with this whole thing okay 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 now what if because you said he was in the military yes okay that was not mentioned except for his obituary that's right? right yeah right what do governments do to military soldiers if they're sketchy tests kenton yeah they yeah. test on them that's true yeah. I think this poor fellow was part of some kind of Captain America superhuman testing, but for his brain, which made him capable of learning languages. But then he went crazy, drank five beers, and I don't know, Kenton. I'm thinking he probably learned German when the Nazis invaded Poland. Yeah, probably. Polish is obviously from Poland. And then saying he knew, knew Russian because when Soviets invaded Poland. Right. No, that's 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 totally the the language thing is like it's mm. interesting, but yeah, that's totally pot. Like literally, like someone upstairs I know knows four languages, and she she learned them fairly easy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I struggled with English. So like at the time, the Cold War was very hot, right? I could see you know there being some kind of connection with Soviets or something of that sort, and that he wasn't necessarily prospecting; he was meeting somebody out there, mm. and something happened. Maybe he was working on something like Granger Taylor was doing. Maybe he uh, got into a group. Maybe it was like, maybe like I said, like some kind of test. It's very Granger Taylor-y. Yeah. Like if, if he had been killed out there in that in the blast or whatever, uh, he would disappear because no one would have gone looking out in like a prospecting area, right? They would have been looking, looking around the lake, uh, Falcon Lake, not out where he was. You know, it's possible. Something like that could have happened. He met with someone. It didn't go right. They tried to get rid of him, didn't work, or something like that. And the, one of the things they found out there was melted metal. And I'm thinking maybe because he is an uh, engineer. And at one point when he, say, he said, I don't, I don't think I included it. When he looked inside the spaceship, he had like uh, welding goggles. And you look through this so you can uh -oh. see inside. I think he was building something out there. Because why would you need gloves if you're prospecting? Mm. Why would you need a mask? Why would you need, like, he had a lot of stuff out there for someone who's just looking around for quartz. Maybe he never really left the war, Kenton. Could be. Yeah, could be. So I'm thinking there's more to that story. I'm thinking there's maybe a Soviet connection. Uh, I just don't know what it was, what it could be. Hmm. And, and to get the attention of both the U.S. and Canada's military definitely makes it seem like something that people are taking a whole lot more serious than just a crazy guy having some kind of encounter in the woods. But one thing I've learned from a lot of these stories, Kenton, is most mysteries can be solved by one of three things. Russia, <laughs> aliens, yeah. or bears. 
<laughs> it's kind of all three. Soviet <laughs> Russian bears disguised aliens. Yes. Went after him. Oh, oh, that's good. Can't go much further with this one. I think it's a good happy new year, new season, new everything. Except the background, it looks the same. But but uh, it's different. Different. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for coming in with me, Dylan, and, and chatting about this this very strange story from 1967. As always, my name is Kenton DeYoung, and I'm sitting here with Dylan Fairman. And this has been Unsolved Canadian Mysteries.